Hi, I'm Mike Dilk and you're listening to the Relax Back UK show. The show that explores all kinds of health topics relevant to you, your family and your friends. Each week I talk to expert guests from a range of backgrounds to inform and entertain you. So please do join the Relax Back UK family and stay tuned. Hi, and thank you for joining me on the Relax Back UK show. Various topics this week, but tech in health is the thread that uh, pulls it all together. What's the topic we're talking about here? Bits have been chopped out from all tissues, so skin, liver, lungs, lymph nodes, etc. It sounds a little gruesome, but it's a very normal part of the medical process. It's pathology. Sanj Lally of, of Source LD Pathology tells us exactly what pathology is. Some of the problems right now, mainly due to lack of staff, some clever ways to overcome that, including flexible use of pathologists using high tech and also AI creeps in a bit. Then the care, diffi- then the care industry has its own difficulties. We hear about another high tech way of helping out. It allows me to fulfill my career and pursue like what I love and care for people as well as earn well and be able to fit it in around my family. Curum Care is a tech platform that helps carers and uh, the people that have been cared for. The guest is the guest, uh, uh, Patrick Patrick Wallace, founder of Curum Care, and Ashley Louise, uh, a carer using the platform. So please do stay tuned for a great show. Thank you. So my first guest this week is Sanj Lally of Source LD Pathology. And my first question to him was, um, well, it was a simple question. Uh, what exactly is pathology? Specifically histopathology, which is our specialty, is the study of tissue to look for changes in cellular structures to identify diseases. Okay. So, for example... So you... Go ahead. Um, yeah, for example, if you have a little bump on your arm, you might go and see your GP. I'll refer you to a dermatologist. The dermatologist might chop it off, and when you come back a week later and find out what it was, that's us in the background. So we receive the sample, we turn it into a slide, we look at it through a microscope, um, and we're able to identify exactly what the disease is. Pass it back to your dermatologist, pass it back to your GP, and then they're able to treat with okay. subsequent med- medication. All right, so you, you essentially you look at bits that have been chopped out and yeah. uh, figure out yeah. what's going on. Yeah, all okay. bits have been chopped out from all tissues, so skin, liver, lungs, lymph nodes, etc. Right, and what's the histo bit? Histopathology. So pathology is just diagnostics in general, and histopathology is specifically the study of tissue. Oh, I see. Okay, so anyone that looks at a bit that's been chopped out of a person is a yeah. histopathologist. All right, I get it. Sorry. Correct. I, I'm, I'm not up to speed with uh, these uh, particular uh, phrases and whatever. So uh, thanks for bringing me up to speed. So anyway, it, it seems that there's a bit of a shortage of pathologists, uh, certainly in the UK. How come? Yeah, so there's been a shortage pre-COVID, um, and that's an ageing population of pathologists, um, a lack of graduates coming through, the 10-year gap between qualifying as a junior and a consultant. And it's not just a, a UK problem, it's an international problem, and that adds partly to our problem because we're unable to recruit pathologists from all over the world because it's the same situation all over the world. There's just a massive shortage 
across the board. Goodness me, that kind of surprises me because I'm sure you'll put me right here, but my my thought of, of kind of being a pathologist is that there's no there's no night shifts, that there's no patients, there's no blood. Um, so all the rubbish bits or potentially bits that you might not like aren't there and you get a doctor's pay. Seems perfect to me. I thought people would be queuing up to be a pathologist. Yeah, but you also have the bad bits, so you've got to do all the autopsy. That comes from pathologists. Um, all the paperwork, the lack of uh, resources because it is an underfunded department and right. it's not as glamorous as the other um, fields. And so if you look, say, towards private, it's more lucrative being a dermatologist than it is to be a dermatopathologist. Right. Okay. But let's, and let's face it, it's a pretty vital job. I mean, an awful lot hinges on what a pathologist says. So if, if they make a wrong decision, you know, this this ain't good. Yeah, it, it's the backbone of um, of diagnosis in this country. And I think there is probably a 2% error rate. But the problem is when you amplify that by hundreds and thousands and millions of patients, 2% becomes a large number. There's a lot of people. Right, yeah. so you're you you you're, you're on this. You 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 are helping with the shortage, and helping with that two percent. Tell, give us a rough outline of how you how you're sorting it all out. Yeah, so a few years ago, we decided to embrace technology. Um, these machines had been talked about from the eighties and nineties, but they weren't really used across the industry. And the machines I'm talking about are digital digital technology machines. And what that means is you can take a fluid, which is conventionally studied under a microscope, and scan the image, and the image will be available um, anywhere on the cloud. Meaning that if Dr. A is away, you can allocate the image to Dr. B. If it's a challenging case that you need two or three opinions, you can get them all at the click of a button, whereas conventionally you have to get the slide, write a referral letter, send it to hospital number X, it gets goes to hospital X, it arrives there uh, two or three days later. The doctor might not see it straight away. They give the referral, they send it back, and then it still doesn't make sense because now you have a completely different opinion to your second opinion, pathologist. And now you have to send it out to a third person, and that entire process used to take three, four, five, six weeks. Now you can click a button, and the image can be available to 100 doctors anywhere in the world, providing that they have the correct credentials. And all these challenging cases, the ones that are borderline, is it cancer, is it not cancer, can be collaborated upon by specialists across the world. Um, if there's train strikes or uh, traffic on the motorway or anything else that prevents pathologists from getting to work, they can stay at home and work now without having right. to courier ship the slides to them. They just log in anywhere, anywhere secure, and they're able to see, uh, see the images. Okay. I mean, this, this sounds like... Um extremely useful thing because it's the sort of thing that you need an answer to as fast as possible you know if if the question is does this person have cancer you know you need an answer as quickly as possible so you can start treatment essentially yeah um i mean from my own experience i had cancer myself a couple of years ago and the the good well the bad thing with the type of cancer i had is that you couldn't actually do any pathology until after the fact so um, I had my surgery, so discovered the uh, cancer via an ultrasound on August 11th, had my surgery on the 13th, 
But I didn't actually get my results back for another few months. And that's two months of waiting and panicking. Is it stage one? Is it stage two? If it's stage two, do I need chemotherapy? I've got a baby on the way in October. It's August now. What am I going to do? Um, so diagnosis is crucial. And if you take today's examples, there was, because of COVID, mass um, cancellations of surgery, which yeah. led to patients being seen months later than they should have been seen. And the government tried um, to do these project restarts, so all the endoscopy clinics, the skin clinics that are patients being seen in private hospitals, in community clinics, in GP surgeries, in evening shifts, in weekend clinics, etc. But the problem is you, you've chopped out the potential tumour now, but you don't actually know what stage the tumour is because there's a backlog of technology now. And you might not find out for another six months, and by that time, it may have already progressed from one stage to another stage, and the treatment gets more complicated, and the prognosis gets bleaker. Yeah. No, I I can see speed is absolutely of the essence. But let let me ask you another question, which is an absolute layman's question. Is is looking at a picture of this a slice from this tumour, which is essentially what a pathologist will be doing, is that really the same as looking at the a slice of the tumor itself? You know, is it is it really just as good? Yeah, so we actually do both. So when we actually receive the tumor, we look at it macroscopically. So the outside, the appearance, how it looks, how it's dissected, and then we look on the insides, how the cells are actually moving. So it's a combination of the two to be able to find a diagnosis along with um, the clinical factors, so for example, the patient's age, their ethnicity, whether they've been on holiday anywhere recently, if they're on any type of drugs, um, if they've had any insect bites, etc. There, there's a whole range of features that go into making one singular diagnosis. Right, and so so can you do all that digitally? I can get how you can you can see a a, a picture of a slice of the tumor, but the kind of the the look of the overall thing. Can you do that digitally as well? Most companies cannot. So we've actually got a very nice piece of technology which provides a 3D macroscopic image of the tumour itself. So it's available okay. to the pathologist. And you're able to view pictures and a video of exactly how it looks anywhere remotely in the world. Okay. So so you're saying this this is actually just as good? Yeah. It's okay. the same thing. You you can see it in in live uh, in real time. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, are there any situations where doing things digitally digitally isn't just as good, but actually better? And what I'm thinking of here is is this phrase that everyone's talking about at the moment: AI, artificial intelligence. Can this kind of artificial intelligence be trained to look at minute? differences and changes and because that's the sort of thing that pathologists need to look at in cancer yeah so it's going to be a game changer um we were discussing ai a few years ago and we thought it's around 10 years away but it's here now we've got some already embedded within our workflows and it can work two ways so you can use it for a primary read and what that means is that the pathologist is assisted um when doing the diagnosis to actually have the AI identify the areas within the slide where cancer characteristics may lie. So the tumor thickness, the maximum tumor length, whether there's invasion, etc., all of that can be identified by a heat map. And it means that the pathologist is able to make the diagnosis quicker 
because rather than looking for these characteristics, it's identified and displayed directly to them. And then the second way is actually reducing um, the number of misdiagnoses by having an algorithm audit uh, in real time. As soon as a pathologist is about to make a diagnosis for a cancer, the algorithm can kick in and just double check the work and agree or disagree. And if it disagrees, the algorithm can still be wrong, but it at least gives the pathologist a second chance to review an area that the algorithm has highlighted of a, of a as a area of interest. Okay, all right. I mean, but are the way cancers present themselves, are there enough similarities to really be able to, to, to do this? Because um, something I... I, I say, which uh, admittedly is is a bit of a blasé throwaway phrase. You know, you've got artificial intelligence, but actually, I prefer real intelligence. You know, if if, if it yeah, was my cancer, I might be happier at someone who had been looking at these things for the last twenty years, and it is very experienced and really good at it. Um, I, d I don't know if that's a, a concern people throw at you, but you you, you know you you must have some thoughts on that. No, I completely agree with you, and that's why it will be used as a tool for the pathologist to be able to assist them in their diagnosis rather than um, the algorithm actually making the diagnosis itself and nobody checking it. Right. So essentially, if you look at something like prostate cancer, there is perineural invasion in prostate cancer. There is a type of cancer, so for example, adenocarcinoma, um, the tumour presents itself with maximum length and maximum tumour thickness. All of these characteristics can be picked up by the algorithm. Um, the pathologist needs to look for these things anyway. So the algorithm will spot them and highlight them, and the pathologist will make the ultimate decision as to what the diagnosis is. Okay. All right. I, I would be scared myself uh, if, if we had pathologi uh, pathologists completely replaced by algorithms. Sure. I, sure. I, I don't think... We, yeah, we'll, we'll ever go down that route. Okay, now that, that that's good to know, and just 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 the fact that it's a it, it, it's a helping hand and makes things more efficient. Because let's face it, from your explanation, there is a large backlog the world over, but certainly in the UK with the NHS at the moment. Yep, uh, um, thousands and thousands of patients. We. We were diagnosing some patients last week that had had their procedures at the end of 2022. And so six right. months makes a big difference in the staging of a tumour. And we are staging tumours that may have been six months old. And we don't know what stage those tumours are at now. Sure, no, I get it. So how, how, does, how does your company fit in with the NHS? You're a supplier to the NHS or how, how does it work? Yeah, so we have 200 pathologists um, under our books, and a typical fully staffed department will probably have around 24, 25. Yeah. So we're essentially 10 pathology departments all in one. And when I say a fully staffed department, I think only 3% of pathology departments in the UK are actually fully staffed. Um, and what we're able to do is specialise each pathologist into a specific piece of tissue. So we have skin pathologists, liver pathologists, lung pathologists, and they only look at those pieces of tissue. And what we're able to do is, as work arrives, we scan all of the slides using our digital technology, and we allocate them um, smartly to whichever pathologist in that specialty has availability. 
and the system does the rest. Uh, the system has been designed as a complete histopathology system to enable the pathologist to make a diagnosis as quick as possible. It doesn't right. need to require any additional typing. They can use their voice for dictation. They can click their buttons to bring up uh, cam text or personalized reports. They can use data sets that are triggered by the hospitals. And how we cater this to each individual hospital is, strangely enough, each hospital in this country has a different piece of IT kit. And so even if we make a diagnosis on a Monday, it probably doesn't end up back in their system if we use the traditional method until the Friday, until the secretaries at the hospital have logged into our portal, copied the results, put it back into their own portal. So we've taken it one step further now by integrating our systems directly with NHS systems, meaning that reports are going directly back at the point of authorization from our side. And then um, you have something called Royal College of Pathology datasets. Those are the minimum datasets that are required when reporting cancer. But once again, strangely enough, the NHS, each hospital type, tends to adapt those datasets to their own specificity. We have diagnosis codes called SNOMED codes, and each hospital has their own variations of them. And so what we do is we inject the hospital's diagnosis codes, we ingest their datasets, and so the reports feel as if they've been insourced rather than outsourced. It's the exact same format, the exact same characterization codes and the exact same data sets going directly back into the systems. Okay. Well, I, it's I mean, a it's team certainly... of pathologists that we have. Sorry, sure. I, it, I was it, just it... going to add that we, we allow the hospital to select exactly which pathologist they want to report their work. And that's the crucial thing. When you outsource, you lose that relationship. You might be a pathologist and you in an NHS hospital and you issue a diagnosis. And then you get a knock at the door and a consultant walks up and he disagrees with the diagnosis. And, and that's because he may know something more about the patient or clinically he saw something that doesn't really add up with the pathology. And you need to have that discussion to be able to form a consensus opinion. And that's lost when you outsource and it can go to one of a hundred doctors or so. And so we create these small teams per hospital. So that the managers, the lab managers, the pathologists, consultants in the hospital are comfortable with who they're outsourcing the work to. They have a relationship with them. They can pick up the phone. They can send an email and discuss a patient's case at any time to get to the most accurate diagnosis. No, I get it. It, it, it does sound very efficient, uh, certainly. Um, and that's, you know, so the information, to the, you have to bring it back to the patient every time. You know, the patient is the important one in all this, I guess. Um so if the information gets back on what particular issue they have as fast as possible, uh, that has to be a good a good thing, certainly. Um, although, yeah, I, I, I suppose I'm struggling a little bit with the, the fact that this has to kind of all be outsourced. Um, but the way you've described it, it, it does seem uh, a lot quicker and a lot more efficient for sure. Well, I think the problem is just the shortage of pathologists, back to the original problem. It doesn't need to be outsourced if we could sufficiently staff the departments, but we're unable to, we're unable to. And then the second problem is that each department has its own um, different piece of software, so you can't just send yeah. the work from hospital A to hospital B because it's different software to report back into, yeah. and they, they don't communicate with each other. I think it was, I think I was still a kid at the time, but... The, do you remember the National Pathology NP kit or whatever it was, the 10 billion piece of kit they tried to put into the NHS in the 2000s to try and link everything together? It completely failed because 
the majority of the state is sat on legacy systems that yeah. are no longer supported um, and therefore cannot integrate with anything. Now, so, so certainly IT systems are a major source of problem in, in the NHS generally, I think. Um, yeah. Okay. Look, look, I mean, this is, this is very interesting and it really does, I have to say, sound like you, you are helping a lot of people, uh, which is a very good thing. If people are listening to this and they want to find out uh, a bit more, um, two, th- two things really, a bit more about what you do, because, you know, maybe they work in a hospital and actually it would be useful for them to find out more about what you really get up to. And also if there are members of the public that just want to, you know, so lay people that want to find out a bit more about pathology and what it really is and the sort of things pathologists do, so a couple of sources, what are a good couple of sources to help with those two things? Our company websites are great. They've got patient-facing letters in there. Um, they've got a list of our services uh, for the industry, and it could be either the Source Bioscience website or the LDPath website, uh, sourcebioscience.com, LDPath.com. And if somebody wants to send a message in, um, feel free to do so. We'll pick it up on the other side. Even if it is a patient, we offer a second opinion service because ultimately the law in this country is that your material belongs to you. So if you have an operation and some pathology is conducted in the hospital somewhere and you just want to get a second opinion or something else, you can send it. You can request the material yourself back in the hospital. You can send it to us. And if you're interested in careers, we've got careers uh, all across uh, our industry because it's not just doctors that we employ. We've got scientists, we've got trainee scientists, also the people that are um, producing the slides. We've got accounts departments, HR departments, courier departments to pick up the material from up and down the country. It is a very large industry that creates a lot of jobs. Yeah. And a very important one. And one yeah. which really, until today, I must admit, I hadn't really thought about <laughs> because I'm just not in that world. But it's, it's uh, from what you've said, absolutely vital. Yeah, I think uh, even myself, when I joined the company 10 years ago, I did not have a clue what pathology was. Um, heard heard the word, didn't really know what it meant, but it's essentially any time you see a GP or a, a specialist and you have a procedure, it's it's the results of the other side. It's, it's the people that are able to figure out exactly what the issue was who allow you to yeah. go on to your subsequent treatment. And that's not just cancer, but anything. If you have a skin rash, it could be biopsied and it could be eczema, it could be psoriasis, it could be a range of things. But all of that is pathology as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, look, Sans, thank you very much for enlightening me. Much appreciate it. And thank you for taking the time to chat. Thank you very much. So the next guests are Patrick Wallace. He's the founder of Curum Care and Ashley Louise. She's a carer uh, working as a carer and using the Curum Care platform. Actually, care is something that's kind of quite close to my heart because my dad used to live with us and uh, towards the end of his life we had to get um, carers in Uh, at the end it was uh, three times a day so we had carers in the house quite a lot we got them via uh, a local agency which I think was a a franchise and actually the whole system worked quite well for us Uh, we were generally very happy with it that was a few years ago Uh, things have 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 moved on and actually there are certainly some issues um, in the care industry and um, to start off with I just asked my guests what the current issues are. I feel that in the care industry what we're, what we're 
definitely low on carers um and that and the sort of the rushed we're limited basically the time limits because we don't have that many carers it means that you know we're having to stretch them widely um and having worked for agencies and care homes hospitals you know they're, they're rushed off their feet all the time and that then does limit the the type of care that we can give we kind of you're on a bit of a baseline if you like as opposed to being able to go that extra mile um that and sort of the low pay for hard work um every every client is different and you know dependent on your what qualifications i suppose and and how much experience you have sort of none of that is really taken into consideration and that you're just getting like the basic rate um, and when trying to work all those hours and fit it in it can be quite deflating um, I've got that experience and from working through Curum it's, it's really changed kind of how I'm able to care for people and I think that's that's really important um, so yeah so, so essentially you always feel that you're kind of struggling against the clock and it's Definitely. just, just hard, hard to do a good job. So actually, is is there, presumably there's there's a difference there, whether you're working sort of within the NHS uh, or in, in private care, or does NHS care sort of still exist? I mean... Uh, so you don't know, I think. Well, I was just willing to, NHS care does exist. The NHS funds about 10% of the, of, of the care in, in the UK. But it, it, it tends to be short. Well, no, some of it is longer term care. Uh, it, it's quite uh, it's a bit of a lottery really if you can get it. Um, it's non means tested, so it's it's very competitive to get. And they do cover a lot of short term care. But it's primarily local authorities that fund probably fifty percent of the care in the UK, and the remainders, which is means tested, and the remainder then is privately funded. Right. Okay. So we we, we were we were privately funded we were lucky my, my dad had a reasonable pension so he could pay for um, private care and and that, I suppose that helped it to work um, a little bit better but actually even then I, I could tell that the, the carers that came to help him did feel a bit pushed you know they sometimes actually they could sit down and have a chat with him uh, but it was it was it was pretty rare and they were they were certainly very busy um now, something that was in the news yesterday, um, which kind of got my attention, uh, it was a group of uh, Tory backbenchers put together a plan of how they were going to um, solve the immigration problem as, as they see it. And uh, I got the back end of this. I didn't get quite quite get the whole story. I'm sure you guys did. Um, but one of the things seemed to be making it a lot harder for carers people that wanted to come to the uk to work in in the caring industry um would find it much harder to get visas all of a sudden in fact they were saying we're just going to stop the visas for that um is that have you got any thoughts on that probably probably to patrick Do, i mean that that seems like uh, a very well, bad thing it, for the care industry yeah i mean like a lot of things in life it's rather complicated and um uh, and the simplicity interpretation is never normally actually uh, the, the, the more intelligent I'm, I'm quite so, sure I've got the simplistic interpretation yeah, but, of that. So, well, yeah, no, so I, mean, again, I mean, I mean, we obviously we're a care aid, we're a tech platform, which is involved in the care sector. So, we, you know, we don't have an opinion on immigration. Lots of people are obviously a very hot topic. Um, what I can tell you is that 
the primary problem is low pay in the UK care sector. That's that's what it's not. There, there, it isn't a shortage of people who'd love to do the job. It's a very vocational job, and a, and if you speak to most carers, they love their job. I mean, they'd like the conditions to be better. They'd like to be less rushed, and they'd like to have you know to be able to build relationships with their clients and not get moved from pillar to post. And they'd like to earn a decent salary, and a, and a decent salary is not the minimum wage, um, uh, and which is what most carers get. And on our platform, they get 16 or 17 pounds an hour after our fees, which is, they're not going to retire to Barbados on that, but it is, it's not a bad salary outside of London. And, and, um, and it, it allows them to have a, a, a living wage. And importantly, it's more than, say, for instance, what Amazon are paying or, or something like that. There's a sort of 13 or 14 pound uh, an hour rate. And that's the problem care agencies have got. They, they pay, they charge, you know, privately 22, 23 pounds an hour. Council funded nineteen pounds an hour, but they pay the carers ten or eleven pounds an hour. And and in fairness, okay. the agencies they don't make much money because it, it, it's been, they don't have much technology, and it's it's and agencies do a very good job. And there's always going to be a requirement for agencies that people won't be able to use tech. All right, so so it, it it seems that your your thought probably in stopping carers coming to the UK to work as 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 long as pay is increased and is, and is better and reflects you know actually what you need to do the job um, properly it might not be so much of an issue well you'll get well in our case we've got a four-week waiting list to get approved on car we've got you know we've got eight eight thousand carers approved we've got thirty thousand in the pipeline and, and there's a four-week waiting list to get on it so to get to get your interview so so, you know, there are plenty of people who want to be carers if it's well paid, but you know, they, they are going to do it for £16 an hour and they're not going to do it for £10 an hour. And in fact, yeah. I don't blame them. I wouldn't do it for £10 an hour either. So, so um, it, it, it's, that is the crux of the matter. Actually, if you really want to understand what's going on at the moment, again, the politicians are missing out entirely about this because what has happened, actually happened at the sector, is there are a huge number of overseas students um, who have very little uh, experience in care um, and, and, and pretty much zero qualifications and often don't have particularly good English. And because the rules around students working in the care sector were very discreetly changed in February by the government, you have got tens of thousands of students trying to get jobs in the care sector. And in some instances, I'm sure they'll do a very good job. And in some instances where it's better than having nobody doing the job because there's such a shortage in certain environments, but it's, it's, um, it's a rather cynical um, uh, short-term uh, stopgap measure, but the journalists haven't quite picked up on the, the real story. And we can see that from our data, because we're a tech business, so we can actually see the yes. different trends. And we, we know yeah. the number of people with different types of visas applying for jobs, et cetera, et cetera. So, so actually, that's the story. Although, as I said, we are we're a tech platform that works in the care sector, sure. and we are we're, we're you know we're we're agnostic about. It. All right. Well, the, well the, the student issue might be uh, a, a subject for another day. So maybe we should yeah. park that and, and, and move exactly. on to how you, you're you're helping sort of solve some of the problem. But uh, with your, you know, so you're you're a, you have a tech platform, and um, that is that essentially is is kind of um, an electronic agency, is it? Or tell us how how that works. Well, well, it's well. Hopefully, hopefully, Ashley. Well, I should up and, and Ashley's far more interested to speak to. She actually does some work, does an honest day's work, and delivers care. But um, so we, so the, the problem identified is that carers are get low paid, and in a typically British 
uh, fashion, we identify the problem and then wander off and actually don't solve the problem. Because if you don't solve the problem of carer pay, you don't solve the problem. So you have to come up with a model where the carer gets paid 15 or 16 pounds an hour. And uh, but obviously, budgets are restrained. There's a cost of living crisis. Uh, people are often quite shocked by the cost of care if they go to an agency or even the local authorities are under a lot of constraints. So there is a finite amount of money people can pay for care. And it's councils pay about £19 an hour. Um, and so therefore, you've got to find a model where the carer gets £16, the council pay £19 or privately £20-21. Um, and that's where the tech comes in. The, the carer has to do a bit more. You know, they're self-employed, they manage themselves, they 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 create their own invoicing and and etc. The platform does all helps them do all of these things. It's very intuitive and it's and uh, all the carers are approved by us and DBS and they're onboarded. Again, we use the same tech that banking use for Revolut, so we check everybody's IDs. We probably find one a week that's false, interestingly. Um we we uh, anyway that, that people get onboarded and then the clients uh, have to do a bit more. They can either post their requirements, which is a particularly if you're in a rush or you need somebody quickly, um, that's the, that goes out automatically then to the, the your requirements go out automatically to carers on, on on the app in real time, and you'll get applications in minutes depending on the job. Or you can put in your postcode and search for carers in your area and, and have a more considered approach and maybe interview a few different people. And again, that's all going to happen at the moment. It's going to happen through the app from next month. Um, and so, yeah, so that's 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 the way you can engage with it. You only pay for the hour, hour of care delivered, and you and you and so and and that allows by everybody doing a little bit more and the tech enabling the relationship, it allows the carer to be well paid and the client to choose their own carer and pay slightly less than an agency. If I tell All right. That well, it, I mean that that sounds like um, in theory an, an excellent plan. Let's go over to Ashley and uh, who's actually at the sharp end and uh, see what she thinks in practice. Does it work? Yeah. It does. It does work. Um, so um, as Patrick said, so obviously we have the platform um, and we have interviews once you've all approved. Um, you then have access to apply for as many jobs as, as you, you can physically fit in your diary, I suppose, or, and that you have um, the capacity for. Um, and as a self-employed carer, this can be very flexible. So I have like two young kids and I work my diary around them, you know, and I, I speak with the clients and I say, look, this is my ability. This is also my life. Um, and then sort of we can slot in, which I find is quite nice. You know, you're you're getting to know the clients. Um, just kind of putting it out there, really, like this is me. This is what I can do. This is how what I can provide you with. And then they're coming back and they can say, do you know what, actually, I'm going to need someone that is a bit more available. Or they can say, actually, do you know what, your flexibility is just what I need. You know, we need someone to come and sit with my granny or grandpa three times a week. Can you fit that in? And, you know, the flexibility honestly has been an absolute godsend because it allows me to fulfill my career and pursue like what I love and care for people as well as earn well and be able to fit it in around my family. So, yeah, yeah this the, the so tech. It's worked well for you. It seems to me that part of the way of getting it to work is a bit more of the responsibility falls on the shoulder of the carers. So if it's, if I've got this right, so you have to do your own billing, your own invoicing. So, mm. that's, so some of the work is taken away from the agency. So the agency doesn't have to pay for that. So they, you can end up with a bit more money um, 
in your in your pay packet at, at the end of the month. Is is that more or less kind of how it works, sort of the cost saving things, so so more of the money can go to the the sharp end and, and the carer? From a financial perspective, I think Patrick would be able to to go more about that. But from from my side, from what I understand and how I've kind of earned from from Kuram or yeah, if you like, that yes, we have to do our invoicing. Yes, we have to do like intro meet. So this is where like I go onto the app and I'll apply for a job and then I'll meet with a client, check that it's right for both of us, go on to create service agreements and 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 then invoice. And yes, all those things are on me, but also they're supported through the app. So, you know, I can create right. an invoice and it's saved on there for me. So when I go and do my tax returns at the end of the year, it's all saved on there ready waiting for me. It helps work out like maths. So, you know, my tax, uh, sorry, the, the fees that I pay to Kuram are separate and then I can work out my tax from what then I have actually earned as a net income. Um, okay. And these are all things that are nicely saved on there. So as much as I'm self-employed, this again is just from literally me. I I like to think that it's taken like the self out of self-employed. So is it? It's, it's unique. It easier, I think yeah. it's unique. Yeah, you know, we're in. I'm in a position where I have the flexibility. I can earn really, really well. Um, you know, I'm in control of it. But at the same time, the support is there, and I think that is they they kind of ticked all the boxes basically okay. for me. That's, yeah, that's very good to know. What about some of the other boxes? Uh, from the person that is being looked after because I remember when we sorted out the care for my dad um, mm. the local agency you know they they came round before any carers came round they came round to the house to you know just just check that that the house existed and um, it was okay for a carer to come and, and to meet my dad to see the yeah. sort of, the source of care that um, would, could help him and that, that actually worked uh, very well. How, how does that happen on the app? Do you actually physically go there or is it done uh, online? So um, initially, sort of the first conversations will be done over sort of like a, a chat or over text. Um, and then we can go on to create like a FaceTime just so that you can sort of e-meet the person, a bit like what we're doing now. So you can kind of sure. see the person you're going to be meeting. Um, the likelihood is due to mobility needs, we're going to be going to the, the person's home um uh and yes never go, never been there before it can be a little bit daunting but they actually uh, Kuram actually created like a safety feature um so we can you know they know where we are because it's scheduled so our invoices for example once i've said that i'm going to be going here on this day and this day for these times it is is monitored in the background if you like so i my whereabouts are known um, or it, what, it's like a track is it a tracker on your phone or something no no not a tracker I mean Patrick you might be able to shed a bit more light on how that works for you guys but so far as I'm concerned that I know that it's it's written down it's saved on there and somebody else can know where I am if need be but obviously those things are kept you know confidential and yeah. safe ju- just yeah. for me for safety it is it, exactly so 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 loan worker safety is an issue and it's an issue lots of loan workers but particularly you know majority of carers are female etc so the way we've done it carers if they're going to go and visit somebody's home for an introductory meeting they create an introductory meeting they may or may not charge for it but then the, the client knows that we know that the carer is turning up their house at 10 o'clock and then and yeah. the carer knows that they know that we know that they're turning up at 10 o'clock and then they have a safety oh. feature on their app which if it's activated it goes to the five people they've named on the on the app and it tells them that the safety features has been activated and they should oh, okay. either call so that, the police that, or whatever 
Yeah, that's, so good. that's uh, good. Good peace of mind, I would imagine. Yeah. I, I think one thing that happened with the um, the agency that we employed for my dad is that when a new carer came, I can't remember exactly if, if, if this happened in every instance, but when a new carer, a carer that was new to looking after my dad, first time they came with an old carer, you know, so it's show, shown the ropes, you know, they might not have been there the whole time, but they were just introduced for a few minutes, you know, hi, this is, this is Mike's dad, this is the carer, so that um, they kind of, when they came on their own the first time, they sort of knew the ropes a little bit. And also for my for my dad, actually, when this uh, carer, new carer came on his own, it was a, a face he'd already seen. And that, that seemed to work quite well. Um, mm. is, is it possible to do a, yeah, a version of that on Kiram? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I have to ask you, but there's a micro team that actually will tell you about, which is, does exactly that. I mean, the, the key lesson here is that it's, it's not the agency that brought along the new carer. It's the old carer brought along the new carer. Carers are very, very efficient, organized people. I mean, that's, there is many, there's, as I said, there's always a requirement for an agent with certain people, people who don't have families or have no ability to be able to do the tech or, or, or have very, very high, uh, you know, very intense needs, which need some sort of coordination and management. But for the vast majority of people, switched on carers and a team can, can manage it themselves. They, 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 as long as they've got the tech that enables them to do all these things and have the micro teams and communicate with the carers and, and there's a, we have a family app we just launched, for instance, which, which means you could have a sister in America, and and uh, and and the app, you know, actually comes into the house, does your dad's vitals every day, takes a picture of him, says a note, dad's been in good form, and she's got a read-only app. You may be managing the care. She's in New York, and she can see pictures of dad. She can message you, and she can update everything. So it's it's uh, so the tech actually makes it a better, in our view, a better relationship. And I'll hand over to, to Ashley to, to confirm that. It's yeah, so, <laughs> absolutely. So, so with your dad then, I, I agree with Patrick, potentially that would have been the, the carer that said, look, I'm going to, going to bring this other one in and me. I don't know whether they, the agencies have like rules on if you're going to have someone else come in, whether you'd need to meet, but I think that you just maybe struck very lucky. And I think that's, that, I agree is super important because like you say it's continuity of care so with all of the carers um, that I see I always say to them you know continuity of care is key we may only be I say only we may be a a tech platform and they are self-employed carers but it is so important that with care in general that continuity of care is is up there with communication and dignified care um we should sort of, I can't think of the word I want, it's super annoying. Um, we should promote continuity of care 100% because this is, is going gonna, is gonna to benefit the clients and it's going to benefit us as carers. So at Curum, we have our micro teams. Um, this is where me as a carer, I can go onto the app and there's a section just for me where I can have a look and search up uh, other carriers within, you know, a uh, say 10 mile radius from my postcode and I can I can connect with them um, and once I've connected you know we can chat and say like I'm going to add you to my micro teams and this then becomes what I would I would say is described as like a pool of carers so if I'm ever poorly you know my kids are off I can't make a shift or you know and I, I've committed to my client but I can't make it then I can call on one of my micro teams so my micro teams can be seen on my profile um, 
And it's just it's just nice that the client can go on at any time and see them. If they know that I've got my week holiday book, they can go on to my profile, see my micro teams and say, right, actually, I'm going to contact one of the three um, and, you know, see if they're available. Then that way, Mrs. J, if she doesn't always have me, she's always got one of me, either me or one of my micro team, which I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, from remembering back to looking after my dad, um, and I, I, we were very lucky, actually. The whole caring system worked very well for us. Um, but it seems like that this um, this, this platform uh, with an app, etc., cetera, um, can do that very well, actually, from what you've described, uh, I, I have to say. So um, if people are listening to this, I think, all right, this sounds like it could be really useful, you know, for me or a member of my family or, you know, perhaps it, Perhaps they're a carer and they want to get involved as a, as a way of, uh, you know, get, getting work. Uh, what should they do? How can they how can they get involved or find out a bit more? Uh, well, well, you Google um, Curram, C U R A M. That's that's C U R A M. It's the, the web address is Curram Care, C U R A M C A R E, uh, Care dot com. And uh, as I said, it's it's free to sign up as a carer or a client and. Uh, and off you go. Um, uh, it's you know it's 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 intuitive. The platform's constantly being improved, and and uh, I think we've got eight thousand, well, nearly nine thousand carers approved now. And um, uh, so you know, it depends on where you are in the country in terms of liquidity. But we will be at hopefully twelve thousand by Christmas. Um, and, and as I said, you'll be able to hire in real time. I mean, one of the other great things about us as a platform is the speed. I think the quickest on record so far was last month was a man in Glasgow signed up at midday and he had hired and paid for his carer 28 minutes later and I think the carer turned up two hours later on his doorstep on a Sunday afternoon so um, I'm pretty confident you won't be able to do that anywhere else um, uh, or any other platform so, so and, no. and as I said by Christmas it'll be done in real time I mean it depends where you are obviously if you're in the highlands of Scotland your the liquidity is a bit less than it is if you're in a big city but if you're in a big city you, you, you'll have 24 7 um care which you know it's it's not the, the huge amount of the market but we think it's a it's a it's an emergency type service that it, it will be available for people you know um uh so that's how you can find us good all right well look, the whole thing sounds uh very useful for people that need care and also for carers that need jobs so thank you very much to both of you for coming in and uh, describing it many thanks thanks for having us Yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much to my guests on this week's show. There were Sanj Lally of Source LD Pathology, uh, Patrick Wallace and Ashley Louise from Curum Care. And of course, a big thank you to you uh, for listening and have a healthy week until next week. Thanks for listening to the Relax Back UK show. Join me, Mike Dilk, again next week for more fascinating interviews and chat. If you're listening to the podcast version, please subscribe, like, and share it with your family and friends. And have a healthy week. Until next week.